Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 podcast, where we share the sermon of the week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. For a dolphin encounter. You ever been on a dolphin encounter? Yeah, where they put you in the water with dolphins? If you don't know, I have a one-minute video to show you what a dolphin encounter is like, so check it out. Encounter program is for people of all ages. Even if you don't like to swim, you're gonna be standing inside the water and you're gonna have a really close interaction with the dolphin. We show them how to touch these animals and then the dolphin is gonna be swimming in front of you so you can feel how soft and smooth they are. After that, we're going to start with the activities, with the kiss, the handshake. You're going to have a part when you're going to play a lot with the dolphins and learn a lot. For example, they get to know the anatomy and how to respect the animals. You hear all the time that the dolphins are very intelligent animals, but it's not until you go inside the water with them that you will realize how smart they are and how much fun you can have with them. When the people say this was experience of my lifetime, that's the best thing I got from my day. Who wants to go on a dolphin encounter? That sounds like fun, right? If you heard and you listened closely, she said it was for all ages, even if you don't know how to swim, and you get to handshake with the dolphin, get to kiss the dolphin. No. Uh, no. <laughs> but the point is, the point is that after you have that experience, then you have a new respect and a new love for the dolphin. Um, you may or may not know who Albert Schweitzer is. Albert Schweitzer uh, died in 1965. He was a German, which was awesome. He was a Lutheran pastor, which is awesome. A theologian, a gifted organist, a humanitarian, a philosopher, an author, and he was also a physician. Albert Schweitzer said this, in everyone's life at some time or another, your inner fire goes out. It is then burst into flames by an encounter. And we should be thankful for those times that rekindle our inner spirit. Now, I don't think he's talking about a dolphin encounter. He's talking about a power encounter, amen? A power encounter. Some biblical truths that when people encounter the Lord, this is what happens. Um, Your vision becomes clearer, and sharper. Uh, whether big or small, this encounter, you always leave changed. And I think of Jacob when he wrestled with God. He lived the rest of his life with a limp, a metaphor for us being changed, having had an encounter with the Lord. Every encounter with God, your dreams become more understandable and achievable. This is because when God shows up, he brings great clarity. I think of Abraham and Isaac. They laughed. What are you talking about? We're going to have a child in our own age. But then God showed up and said, hey, listen up, son. Then I mean it. You're thinking, you're doing, you're involved in life, your Christian life, and you're trying to figure stuff out. When you have an encounter, you get crystal clear vision about the next step. Trust me. It means that God's character uh, becomes more real to you. I think of Isaiah in chapter six, verse five of his book, when he said, woe is me. When he met God, he said, woe is me. He didn't say, hey, how's it going, God? 
here's Isaiah, major prophet. And he goes, wow, I've just encountered the Lord and my first response is, woe is me. This is why when you get in the presence of the Lord, oftentimes you just fall on your face. You're just like, I am so undone. I am not worthy to be in the presence of God. That's what an encounter does for you. Your pursuit becomes more meaningful. Your life becomes more focused. Your faith is strengthened in Acts chapter 10. Peter, and we, we love Peter. I love Peter especially. Um, like him a lot. And uh, I, but it, it takes a lot for Peter to get moved. But when he gets moving, it's okay. He was, he was in Acts chapter 10. He was on the roof of this house. And he still didn't have a whole lot of love for Gentiles. But the Lord gave him a vision of some unclean animals, according to the Jewish tradition. And then told Peter, hey, it's okay. It's all right. And so that radically changed Peter the rest of his life. Some of us sit in this room. Well, all of us sit in this room today because of Jesus. But because of those 12 disciples, we all sit here. For, we can all fate, trace our family tree back to one of the 12 apostles. Isn't that crazy? Peter was one of them who had an encounter with God and was radically changed. Every encounter is a golden opportunity ah, to either remain hidden in your fear or to have reverence for God and his freedom. See, because not everybody who is confronted with an encounter comes out the backside honky-dory, right? And I think of Saul, and this is in 1 Samuel chapter 10, 21. And by the way, if you're bored, don't get bored because this is all by way of introduction. It's about to get really good. But I'm trying to, I'm trying to lay some back some backstory for you, right? If I just build a wall without backfilling, the thing's gonna fall over. So this is a little bit, a little bit of backfill for you about the power of encounter, okay? So Saul, he, what, what, who was Saul? Saul was the first king of Israel, right? He didn't want to be the king. When they came looking for him, what happened? He was hiding, look it up, he was hiding in the luggage, all the suitcases over there. Where's Saul? Where's Saul? He's over there hiding. He, did, he had to be drugged into an encounter. And we know how Saul's life turned out. He never really wanted to go for it. He never was all in. Jonah, he got called to Nineveh. He didn't want to go. God showed up and said, go to Nineveh. He said, no, I don't want to. Really? You don't want to? Okay. And so he ran away to Tarshish, and we know the story. Those are real power encounters. I have a few today, and I've got a couple minutes, and I want to rehearse a few of these with you, and I want you to kind of find out where you are in these personalities. The first one we're going to talk about is this, this person that doesn't have a name. And I should teach a whole series sometime on, on nameless people in the Bible, because there's lots of amazing people in the Bible that we don't know their name, and this happens to be one of them. And it was the woman that was caught in adultery. Then each went to his own home. Jesus went to uh, the Mount of Olives. But at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And they sat down and he was teaching. And the teachers of the law, those Pharisees, came and brought a woman caught in adultery. Notice that, he, notice that they only brought the woman. She was caught in the act of adultery, but I don't know what happened to him. He's not there. They only snagged her. Right? <laughs> they brought the woman caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group and they said to Jesus, now teacher, woman, this, was, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and in the law of Moses, what should we do? Now this was all done because they wanted to trick Jesus because if, they said, if Jesus said stone her to death as it was the right thing to do according to Levitical law, praise God we don't live under the Levitical law anymore because then none of you would have lobster today for lunch because you can't eat shellfish, crabfish, those types of things, right? Crabfish? 
crabs. Right? So, so here's the deal. Here, here's the deal. They, they asked this question of Jesus in order to trick him. Because if he said stoner to death, what was he in violation of? He was in violation of the Roman occupation of Israel. Remember, the Jews were, Jews were only allowed to operate under the, religious, under, under the laws of their religion because Rome allowed them to. Rome had conquered Israel. Rome had conquered Judea, and they weren't the boss. Remember, Caesar, rendered to Caesar. Jesus talking about Caesar. So the, the Jews were an occupied territory. So they came to Jesus and said, what should we do? And if he said, you should kill her, you should do what the law says, what would they say? Oh, they'd run to the Roman authorities, and they'd say, look what Jesus is. Jesus is trying to break Roman law because Jews didn't have the power to put anyone to death. According to, to the Rome, let the Jews do whatever they wanted to because they didn't think they were a problem. But they drew the line at, listen, you don't have the right to be executing people. That's Roman's deal. That's why we build a Colosseum. So they were trying to trick Jesus. And if he said, let her go, then what was the problem? Then he wasn't following the law of Moses. Right. And that would cause problems. They'd stand up and say, look at him. He doesn't even know the law of Moses. No one cares. And he's telling everyone not to follow the law of Moses. So it was a trick question. So what does Jesus do? He bends over, he writes in the ground. What was he writing in the ground? Wouldn't you like to know? I would like to know. We all would like to know. That's one of the 101 questions we'll have when we get on the streets of gold. We'll say, Lord, come here. We have a few things we'd like to ask you. What was it that you wrote in the ground that made all those old men and the young men turn around and walk away from you? Was it their names? Was it the names of their lovers? Who, what were you writing there in the, in, in the dirt? We don't know for sure, but this is what happened. At the end of the story, uh, and those who, again, uh, if any of you is without sin, let him be the one that throws the first stone at her, verse seven. Again, stooped down, wrote some more in the ground. At this, those who were, who were there heard this, uh, began to go away. One, the older ones first, isn't it the older ones that have just a little bit more wisdom there? Like, yeah, I guess I am kind of messed up. <laughs> but eventually got down to the young bucks. They figured it out too. And they went away, and only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Verse 10. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, hey, where are they? Has, has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Well, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and be the same. No, no go and knock it off. Don't do that anymore. That's not good for you. Not because it breaks the law, but because it breaks my heart. It's just not healthy for you to be giving your, your heart to, to men like that. What did she find? She found forgiveness. She found freedom. And she found life in her encounter, in her power encounter. She found forgiveness because Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Remember Romans 8.1? There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Hello? That's one of my most favorite verses. Because the devil wants to condemn you, remind you of all your failures, how you screwed up, and what a mess you were. And maybe how, what a mess you are now because of what you did last night or last week. But listen, you come back to Jesus, you say, Lord, let's, let, you get drugged to Jesus, maybe by some Pharisee or your own heart, and you say, you know what, God, I'm so sorry I broke your heart. Please forgive me. And he starts it all over. Then there's freedom. Well, what type of freedom we're talking about? Yes, spiritual freedom, but she was actually being held against her will. So there's a freedom that came in her power encounter. And lastly of all, life came to her. Now we talk in the New Testament about an abundant life, a supernatural, amazing life. But for her, literally, it was her life on the line. 
According to Leviticus, she should have been stoned. And incidentally, if you go back and you look at Leviticus 20, verse 8, I think it is, it actually says, and the man should be stoned to death as well. Hmm. That's a power encounter. She came up with what? Forgiveness, freedom, and life. Who could use those things? I think all of us. All right. Secondly, Nicodemus had a power encounter. He ended up with compassion, generosity, and some good friends. Now, listen, I got a lot to talk about today, and I have some large portions of Scripture, which I'd love to read to you, um, but I'm not. So just let me just tell you, in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 19, is this story of Nicodemus. Let me just tell you who Nicodemus was real quick. Nicodemus was a religious man. He was of the council. He was part of the Sanhedrin, the 71 ruling Pharisees and Sadducees and the high priest who ran Israel. That's a lot of blah, blah. But he was one of the big cheese. He was, he was a big man on campus. He came to Jesus not to entrap him, but because he had an actual honest question. He says, you, you know, you couldn't be doing what you're doing unless God sent you. So this is, a, this is a pretty good clue that Nicodemus is really wanting to find out. How do you, and then what did Jesus tell him? Well, here, it doesn't answer the question. I just got to tell you, he doesn't answer the question because Nicodemus says, how can this be? And Jesus responds, I'll tell you the truth. You've got to be born again. Wait a second, that's not what I ask you, Jesus. Jesus always has this ability to go right to the heart of the matter, doesn't he? And then when Nicodemus says, well, how can I be born again? Can I go back into my mother's womb? That sounds silly, but Jesus is speaking spiritually. He says, you're born of water, you're born of your mother's womb, but you also must be born of blood and the spirit of God. This is called being born again. This is not an Assemblies of God thing, a Baptist thing, a Lutheran thing, or a Methodist thing. It's a Jesus thing. Jesus told the most religious person in this encounter, one of the Sanhedrin, a Pharisee, he said, you got to be born again. I don't care how good you are at keeping rules and how you can quote the Torah, the law, or all the books of the Bible, you can even say them frontwards and backwards. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Rome, big whoop, big whoop de ding you know it all. Great. Has the information of who Jesus is, which is here between your two ears, made the most difficult missionary journey known to mankind, which is the 18 inches from your brain to your heart? Because if you do that, that's when you become born again. Because this is not about keeping rules and regulations. This is what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. It's blowing his mind. Because up until this point, he had been, Nicodemus had thought all this is about keeping rules and regulations, washing your hands the right way, praying at the right times of day, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not besmirching or saying you shouldn't do any of those things that you feel that God compels you to do to live a holy life. What I'm saying is if it doesn't start here, everything else is lipstick on a pig. Okay, they didn't like that so much over here. I'll try it over here. It's just lipstick on a pig. You know what that means? You can dress yourself up to be a Christian all day long and still have a heart of greed and a heart of anger and a heart of bitterness, be jealous and have fits of rage. That's, that's not how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to be people that are kind and compassionate and loving. So this is really freaking Nicodemus out. At the end of the story, for God so loved the world is what Jesus tells him. Verse 16, we know John three sixteen that anyone who gives his life to whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send, ooh, we often forget get this in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Because a lot of people think that's what Jesus came to do, was point the finger. God didn't send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. For whoever believes in him is not condemned. 
So this is Nicodemus' encounter. Later on, when they're trying to arrest Jesus in uh, John chapter 10, verse 50, Nicodemus stands up and he actually stands up for Jesus during the Sanhedrin. And he says, guys, hey, listen, our law condemning anyone, we can't do that without hearing them out first. He stands up. There's a a record of Nicodemus standing up for Jesus in the Sanhedrin. And then something I think is super cool that tells you about the transformation of his encounter is at the end of Jesus' life, he's been crucified, he's been buried. He, uh, uh, Nicodemus, and uh, Joseph of Arimathea, they went to the tomb and they brought it, this is in John 19, 39, they brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds of these aromic spices so that there wouldn't be a smell. So his power encounter, what did he find? Well, he found compassion. Most religious people are not compassionate. They're very rules-oriented, and if you do it wrong, I will cut you. I'll cut you. Right? You don't want to hang around religious people very long, because when you screw up, they will cut you, and they'll watch you bleed, and they'll walk away. I knew they didn't love God anyway. Oh, jeez. But I think Nicodemus found compassion. Why else is he spending this kind of money to go bury a guy that can't help him anymore? Right? You know you love somebody when you give something to them that you're not going to get anything in return. So he found generosity. I did the research. You can double check me. I did the research. 75 pounds of those spices, aloe and myrrh, in today's economy, you bring it forward, you bring 75 pounds worth of that, because typically only 15 to 20 pounds was used in a funeral. Here, Nicodemus is bringing four times as much nearly. In today's money, almost $200,000. Talk about the woman with the alabaster box. Here's Nicodemus, man. He reached back into his checkbook and said, nobody's going to smell this body. This is going to be beautiful. He didn't even know. Anybody that comes near that tomb is going to smell how beautiful this man was. So he found compassion. He certainly found generosity. And I think he found a new friend in Joseph of Arimathea because they went together to the tomb that day. The third power encounter is the woman at the well, another woman who we don't have a name for. What had happened was Jesus was going through the region and he really shouldn't have been in that region because Jews were not appreciated there in Samaria. And there was this woman and she was by the well and it was the middle of the day, which is unusual because if you're drawing water in the heat of the Judean desert, you want to do it at about 5 a.m. You don't want to be there at noon. This woman was somewhat ostracized by her community and we know this right away because she's there because she don't want to be around anybody else. There's something going on in her life. Jesus shows up, says, hey, uh, would you draw me some water? She goes, why are you asking me for water? I'm a Samaritan woman. And the whole story unfolds. It's a beautiful story. And Jesus says, well, you know, if you, I've got water that if you drink, you'll never be thirsty again. This piqued your interest. And he, she goes, tell me more. Oh, you want to know more? Then Jesus says, well, go get your husband. Well, this is why she's there in the middle of the afternoon drawing water is because she had had five husbands. Jesus prophetically says, you have had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. So you're six men deep into this, which a lot of people think Jesus is shaming her when, in fact, he wasn't. He wasn't shaming her. She wasn't the one that divorced them. Those men had to divorce her. That was not of her doing. There she was. Jesus said, come on. Give your life. Jesus said, 
went through the whole story, and it actually it's a very, very beautiful story and a quite lengthy one. Um, but at the end of the story, the woman said, I know that you're the Messiah. She figured it out. I know you're the Messiah. Now, Messiah, just so you're aware, is the same word as, as Christ. Those words are the same word. Messiah and Christ are the same word. It's like saying fire and fuego. It's like saying water and agua. It's the same word, Christ and Messiah. It's just two different languages. Messiah is the Hebrew word, and Christ is the Greek word. So it's the same word. So she says, I know that you're the Messiah. She uses the Hebrew word. You're the Christ. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you, this is verse 26, I who speak to you are, I, I, I am he. Talk about a power encounter. Now, of all the things we could say about this woman at the well, and I thought long and hard about this, and all I could think of was a 1978 urban cowboy, John Travolta, Johnny Lee song that goes like this. I spent a lifetime looking for love. You don't know how that goes? The chorus goes like this. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in too many places. Right? Okay. So I had that song, which I had not heard in 40 years, when I was thinking about this woman. She had been looking for love in all the wrong places. And Jesus figured this out. So then I thought, oh, I'll just go look up the lyrics. I spent a lifetime looking for you. In single bars, good time lovers, never true. Playing a fool's game, hoping to win. And telling all those sweet lies, but losing again. And I was alone then, no love in sight. I did everything I could to get me through the night. Don't know where it started or where it might end. I'd turn to a stranger to be a friend. But then you came knocking. This is the words of the song. You came knocking on my heart's door. You're everything I've been looking for. And now, no more looking for love in all the wrong places. I mean, it's like a gospel song. I'm like, I'm having church in my office this, after, this week. I'm like, 42 years ago, you know. Johnny Lee wrote this like, in my heart, I was looking, I mean, you know what I'm talking about? You, were you there? Were you there before you knew Jesus? I'm like, man, I just, there's something in it. It's not, it doesn't fit right. It's not, I'm not satisfied. There's a hole and, and it's, I, I'm, I'm trying to fill it with a new car. Right? Fill it with a new car. Oh, man, I got my brand new charger. I got my brand new Mustang. Got the brand new whatever. Oh, man. So, and you're out there polishing. And then some old person driving a beater comes and gives you the old door ding and now where's your joy now you gotta find love someplace else because that didn't work it's all short-lived isn't it it's all short-lived oh if i just get this if i just go there if i just get that job if i just get that promotion if i just and then you find out you climb the top of that ladder and it's leaning against the wrong building right Man, what is it in life? And you look at yourself, uh, you know, uh, Sunday morning in the mirror after a Friday and Saturday night, and you think to yourself, is this what life is about? I just ought to off myself. There's no reason to live unless it's just for hedonistic pleasure. And so we have modern hedonism. If it feels good, do it, and you do more of it. 
whether it's drugs or sex or alcohol or something, and you're just dead in the pain because you can't fill the hole yourself. You tried. Does anybody hear what I'm saying? Do you know, have you lived? I've lived that. I tried that. Doesn't work. Looking for love in all the wrong places. I love this power encounter. She found true love and no condemnation. Rich young ruler. Uh, okay. Now the rubber's going to meet the road. This man, we don't have his name. He's just called the rich young ruler. I'm reminded of Malachi 3 2 because the fire of the Lord is a refiner's fire. For he is like a refiner's fire. That's from Handel's Messiah. It's a great song. Good beat, easy to dance to. It's called the refiner's fire. But, uh, this fire, oh, it refines, it refines. You know how fire refines? It burns stuff up. Yep. It burns stuff up. Oh, he's a fire. Fan the flame, Lord. Really? You really want him to do that? You want this thing, in, you want the fire of God to get more than just a little ember in your life? Well, here's what happens on encounter. Jesus started on his way in verse 17, and a man ran up to him, fell at his feet. Good teacher, he asked, what's the most I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, don't defraud, honor your father and mother, etc. Jesus, teacher, he declared, all these things, I've done them since I was a boy. Aren't I a good boy? I'm a good boy. I've done all that stuff. I went to VBS. I got perfect attendance at church. All the sword drills, I won. I've been a good boy ever since I was a boy. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him. Can, can you imagine Jesus? I mean, after somebody says that, I don't know what Jesus does. He does he go like this. He goes, just kind of giving the old look up and down like, are you kidding me? Like, really? That's, that's the best you can give me? This is what he says. Hold on a second. I do not want to move this to the iCloud at this moment. <laughs> it just asked me. I pressed my hand on my iPad. So Jesus looked him up and down, loved him, loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then, come on and follow me. The man's face fell and went away sad because he had great wealth. This uh, encounter with Jesus determines whether or not you're all in. Um, you know, in poker, where you push all the chips across the table, See, I'm all in. What does that mean? You don't have anything in reserve. So I'm, I'm all in. So a power encounter, listen here, a power encounter is going to be different for every one of you. Now, if you have money in your heart, you don't like this story at all, right? Because we've often said Jesus doesn't care how much money you have in your wallet or in your bank account. He just doesn't want it in your heart. So when Jesus did the old, uh, you know, Scantron body scan of this young man, he goes, oh, I see, I see what's going on in him. It's this, boom. Let's see, at encounter, at an encounter, at a power encounter, everyone has their own encounter. Because it's not the same. This is not one size fits all. It's not a, what do you call Una, unifit, unitard, unileotard, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Trust me, from, 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 One size does not fit all. Let's just say that. But anyway, right, Miles? You know what I'm talking. So encounter is not one size fits all. Jesus sizes this young man up. He says, what what he's saying to himself, I believe, is I I see what his false God is. Let's just touch that with a little fire. 
For you, what is it for you on encounter? What are you afraid that God's going to touch? Because if you go on an encounter, he's going to touch it. The question is whether or not you want him to put his finger on that. And whether you're serious enough now to say, yeah, I really do want the fire of the Lord to burn in my life. I want to be on fire for God. What does that mean? Fire can only survive when you give it fuel. Well, I've been walking with God for 25 years. You know what you've got? You've got a backpack full of tinder and sticks that need to be burnt up. Oh, see, now I've gone from preaching to kind of meddling for those of you who've been seasoned senior saints. You're carrying tinder. You're carrying kindling around. You got some stuff that needs to be burnt up too. Well, bless God. Kathy said it great. Just don't ride the pine. Burn it. Get off the pine, then burn the pine that you've been riding. Okay? So this is what happened. What did he encounter? Self-righteousness, greed, and the fear of getting all in. That power power encounter with Jesus will test to see whether you're all in. It's just a test. So the rich young ruler, horrible example. But I got a really bad example for you. His name, we do know this one's name, his name is Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate had an encounter with the Lord, didn't he? Um, He was uh, running the uh, Roman providence of Judea at the time, uh, back in the, uh, during Jesus' day, and he was the Roman official who ultimately presided over Jesus' crucifixion. So rather than read the account to you, I have a three-minute video clip from uh, the life of Jesus. Uh, This is not really Jesus, this is an actor, but it's from the life of Jesus, and it it uses the scripture words during this power encounter, and I want you to listen closely to what what, uh, Pilate says to Jesus in this encounter. Let that roll. Wow. So he had this power encounter, had a power encounter, right? I mean, you're talking to Jesus, he's challenging what truth is in your life, But he goes, you know what? I would lose my reputation. The governing authorities wouldn't be happy with me if I did, if if I'd let him go. I gotta kill this Jesus. Because, you know, the the, the ruling authorities have already warned me, if this doesn't happen, we're going to have issues. He could cause a revolution. Let me tell you, when you have a power encounter with Jesus in your life, he's setting up a revolution in your life, and there are people that are not going to like the fact, hello, there are people that didn't like the fact that I gave my life to Jesus. So you have to determine, do I'm going to follow Caesar? Metaphorically speaking, that person in your life that says, you know what, I'll just go ahead and crucify Jesus again, not a big deal. Oh, just keep playing church. Just play church. That would be good. Give everybody the air that you're a Christian, but then don't really have Jesus living in your life or your heart. See? He says he can't do it. You know, there's actually, there's actually uh, uh, businesses now that will defend your reputation online. Reputationdefender.com. I'm not giving it, I'm not a subscriber. I just Googled it, and there are companies that do this. You want a good reputation, you want anything bad from your reputation expunged from the internet, it's hard to do. That company will do it for you, for a fee. Yeah. Bad reviews, whatever, they just take it all away, make it go away. We want this to happen in our life. And Jesus says, listen, you're either, as the rich young ruler and on down the list it goes, 
the woman caught in adultery, Nicodemus, the woman at the well, the rich young ruler, Pilate, and on and on. All these encounters, you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. Not making a choice is a choice. Cheryl, when I ask you where you want to go to dinner, and you say, I don't know, there isn't a restaurant called I don't know. Yet. David's going to open one. What a, what a booming business they would have, right? Where do you want to go? I don't know. Not making a decision is a decision. It's a no. Give your life to Jesus. I'll do that tomorrow. Procrastination is the greatest tool of the enemy in your walk with the Lord. I'll go on the next encounter. I'll go to the next growth track. I'll lift my hands next week. I'll cry out next week. I'll shout a little louder next week. Ah, you know, it's just a little bit too much for me. But you raise your hands and shout for the Baltimore Ravens. Pathetic team that they are. How about any of the 12 disciples? Peter, Paul, and Mary, not the 60s group. Mary Magdalene, Martha, Elizabeth, Zacchaeus. Here's a little, a little guy, a wee man. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. I'm not making it up. He was a little person. Had to climb up in a tree. He could have used excuses all day long. Well, there goes Jesus. I guess I can't see him. Mm. No, he climbed the tree. Metaf- metaphor of the cross of Christ, the tree of Jesus. Doing. He climbed up in the tree so he could get a good look. And then you know what happened? Out of everybody that was there pressing around Jesus, the parade of Jesus goes, wow, who's this little guy up in the tree? What's your name? I'm going to go to your house. What's the Lord just pointing? He says, I want to go to your house today. That only happens to somebody who's willing to go, the, get in it, to win it, get off the pine. Right? Unfold your arms in the spirit realm and say, yes, I'm going to go after God. I don't know what that looks like, but I know what the other end of the spectrum looks like. It's just a bunch of garbage and emptiness and hollowness. Oh, man, I could just preach all day, but um, I'm going to have the worship team come back up because I want to tell you about the final encounter. Um, Gosh, I wanted to preach the two thieves on the cross. Don't you think they had an encounter with the Lord too? Yeah. I want to close with the woman with the issue of blood. You know why I want to close with the woman with the issue of blood? You know the woman with the issue of blood? She had the issue for years and years and years. She was bleeding female-wise for years and years. All that I spent all of her money trying to get healed, trying to get cured, never worked. Watch this, though. I like the woman with the issue of blood because it reminds us we all have issues. Well, not me. I don't have an issue. Oh, yeah? We just all pinpointed it in your life. It's called pride. Right? So you tell me you don't have an issue, you do have the issue. It's called pride, arrogance, self righteousness. So we all are broken on some level. We're in the process of being fixed. Yes, God instantaneously cured me and healed me. And positionally, um, spiritually speaking, I am right with Christ. But you know what? I still have flesh wrapped around my bones. I still had to answer to the alarm clock this morning. I still opened my refrigerator door this morning like you did. I still got in my car. Maybe the tires were bald or weren't. And your children still get cavities. And your son broke his arm. And your daughter's having problems in school. Yes, all that stuff still happens to people that love Jesus. Imagine that. It doesn't poof go away. We still have to go through life together. We have issues. This woman had an issue of blood. Joy is what we're after. And happiness. It's not, listen to me, it's not based on the absence of issues in your life. 
I'm thankful for that because I got lots of issues. Don't you? Don't you? Or do I, I feel a little naked up here right now because I don't feel love coming back at me like, yeah, I got issues too. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's with your month, your house, your job, whatever, you know. We're all going, we have the issues. But your joy, listen, your joy cannot be dependent upon the absence of issues in your life. Because it's never going to be issueless. You're always going to have issues. So the question is, how do you have joy and peace with and in the midst of your issues? It's because when your heart has a persuasion of its eternal destination, then you have a peace that transcends, surpasses, goes over human understanding. That guards your heart and your mind and keeps you in Christ Jesus. Wow. Wow. Somebody ought to build a religion about that. They did. It's called Christianity. It's called loving Jesus. It's called your issues don't go away, but you have a peace in the midst of your issues. And uh. This is what this woman did. Hmm. She suffered for 12 years, but she heard that Jesus was coming. And so she premeditated, she planned her deliverance. She said, if I just get through that crowd. There's people that don't want you to have an encounter with God. And they may be your friends. They just don't know how desperate you are. You got to have a change in heart. You got to press through the crowd. Her power encounter produces her healing, her supernatural peace, and freedom from suffering and shame. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast your place for real, relevant relationships.